and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Today, we're talking about The Love Witch with friend of the pod, Charlie Wine, who you might remember from our classic Scream episode and others. And our super special guest, Stephen Wozniak, who plays Elaine's previous husband, Jerry, who <laughs> did not have a good time, <laughs> at least towards the end there. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Yeah. Um, so happy to have both of you here. Let's get into some introduction questions with Stephen. So, um, Stephen, what is your horror origin story? How did you get started with this genre? That's a really good question. Um, I, after doing uh, professional theater in the Metro DC area, which the kind of stuff that is done in theater is a lot of, you know, sort of drama and comic hijinks kind of plays and things like that. And there, there isn't much horror, but when I moved to Los Angeles a number of years ago, um, I did a couple of horror movies, including one called Chaos, which is a remake of Wes Craven's The Last House on the Left. And it involved some people from the original Last House, like David Hess, who played Krug, um, but he got pulled away in another project. And um, Mark Scheffler, who, who played um, the young the young son, and who's also a, um, a writer and uh, a producer on Chaos. And because I just, I don't know, I think I, you know, play these sort of fringy characters and, um, and I like what those underdogs are up to. So I, I just one after another got involved in them. And sometimes it was, you know, genre directors know each other. Hey, this guy was in this movie and you might want to talk to him about, you know, being in this other feature and that kind of thing. But that was one of the first ones. And then I did some other ones too. Um, but um, I, I always liked them as a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I watched a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, 60s and 70s um, horror films and exploitation films, a lot of Herschel Gordon Lewis, who doesn't, what kid at the ripe age of 12 doesn't like to watch, you know, buckets of blood heaped on wild offenders and crazy, 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 not so airtight, really short running time horror movies and that are, you know, really bright and crazy. And, right. and uh, yeah, all that stuff. So that's sort of brought me in and I don't know, did I answer your question? Yeah, no, and here we are. Do you, do you have a favorite like subgenre of horror? Uh, um, it's a good question. Uh, somebody asked me a different question, which was sort of like the quality of horror movie that I like to watch. And I, I just, I just sort of mentioned my favorites regardless of ostensibly what you would call you know, a high quality or low quality mm -hmm. um, horror movie. And I, 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 I rattled off um, Let the Right One In, which I think is an amazing movie. Um, just, it's such a, it's such a smart movie that pays attention to the point of view of kids that you don't see that often. And especially in that, in that genre, you know, kids are usually these little spooky apparitions or they, they, they sort of, you know, tell adults about some ominous thing that's going to come, but, but it's rarely told from their point of view. So I love that. The Shining, the original Shining is absolutely amazing. And um, the original, The Exorcist, which are, which are really good. But um, subgenre, um, I think when I was a couple years younger, I sort of liked, I'll admit this, uh, <laughs> sort of, sort of, sort of TNA, I guess. 
<laughs> I just, I sort of just like the, it's a good way to break up horror movies. I think horror movies in the last 10 to 15 years have been broken up with really sort of super obvious sort of comic relief, big, you know, protracted moments of comic relief. And I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of, I won't say I'm tired of it, um, but I'll just say that it's, it's sometimes been done in a really great way and sometimes in a really sort of tiresome way. And so to me, that's the other good interruption is, you know, human flesh that's not being <laughs> mutilated, that's probably having sex. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, awesome. Can you, so I know this is really difficult for some people, but can you narrow that down to your favorite scary movie? To my favorite scary movie? Um, boy, oh boy. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to say the original Exorcist, that which doesn't fall in under that genre at all. I apologize, but that's, <laughs> I think just because it's because the setup for that is so, um, it's so believable. And I lived in that, I grew up in that area. I grew up in the Metro DC area. I, I my brother and I used to go to nightclubs with fake IDs. And there was one right around the corner from the stairs where, you know, the priest dies at the end, he breaks his neck and, so we would always be like, yeah, I know it, it could have happened, you know, <laughs> and then we, and you, and we couldn't research much further. There, there was a little bit of internet, but not that much to find out about, you know, the, you know, the real case of the exorcist of the young boy that the story that was based on and, you know, everybody knew where that guy lived. And right, so right. I think it's just because it touched on that sort of some sort of city suburban reality around me. And then to see it and to see it happen to these people. And it's so, it's so beautifully shot. I mean, it's it's so shot in such a right. I, I think, realistic way. So, it's the, exorcist, yeah. the Exorcist, my answer. Yeah. Um, um, do you have any uh, social media or upcoming projects you want to plug? Uh, I mean, just my normal social media is uh, it's the Stephen Wozniak Art on Instagram and the Stephen Wozniak on Instagram. They both sort of cover my my work as an actor and as a fine artist. Um, uh, no, no huge projects. Cause you know, COVID just ground this fucking business to a halt. <laughs> and not in all cases. I actually have some friends that are doing network TV. Um, and obviously some, some films are being, being done, some productions being done. So I don't want to exaggerate that, but, um, but yeah, so I'm sort of focusing on fine art right now. Huh? Got some, I have some, some shows coming up. I've got a, an exhibition at the 311 gallery in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, um, I hope to hear soon. I can't say yet, but um, a museum in the northeastern area. So I'm pretty excited. That's awesome. Um, all right. Well, now we're going to get into talking specifically about the Love Witch. Awesome. Um, so first off, what attracted you to the project, the Love Witch? Uh, you know, a lot of things. Um, you know, certainly when I read the script, I saw the melodrama in it. But I also saw a lot of the... Um, the critical, you know, sort of pro-feminist themes, you know, that are, are, I think are fairly obvious, you know, they help point up why, you know, Western culture helps to create personal oppression and unrest and outrage. And in the case of the love, which, you know, murder, you know, that was her way out, you know, was yeah. just sort of, <laughs> was to murder, you know, and, and that movie brings up great questions about, you know, you know, sort of um, nature and nurture, you know, how much of it is inherent 
in that character, how much of it is exacerbated by the circumstances and the people around her, how much of her, how much of her, how many of her choices are educated by them or pressured by them. And, and so I was just like, yeah, that's, to me, that's, those are important things, so. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, I am going to turn it over now to Sheree and Charlie. Cool. And I'm gonna be watching the comments and seeing if there's any, um, anybody watching out there that has a question. So if you're watching, Put in the comments a question you have for Stephen, um, and we we may get to it. So yeah, <laughs> cool, <laughs> awesome. Um, so the acting style is very specific because it's a very well styled movie. Right. Were there difficulties with that, or was it just like I do this every Monday? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I I think it was a little bit strange for me to act in that style. Um, I play pretty fringy, what I think of as sort of realistic dudes. And, um, uh, I, but I remember after I read the script, I was, and I don't think I talked with Anna about it, but I was pretty compelled to um, look at some really colorful melodramas from the fifties, specifically uh, Douglas Cirque films, including um, Bigger Than Life. And, and in that film packs a lot of drama into a really short period of time, but, they, but it's somehow believable. I mean, to me, it's somehow believable. I mean, movies are always, you know, the highlights and the conflicts that we face in our in our boring lives, um, wrapped and threaded in three acts. But um, but still, there's something believable about that. And I thought, okay, that's a good start watching that movie. Um, but the love, which I mean, I could tell from the script, was based on a lot of different genres. It wasn't just melodramas. It was Hammer horror films and Douglas Sirk and 60s exploitation and classic early 40s American and European noir. And, and it was so many different genres that I sort of had to be mindful of all of those things. Um, but, you know, since I already looked like I was a dude from a 1972 exploitation movie, <laughs> already, I sort of had that part covered, you know, that I didn't have to really develop or do anything for that. Um, but I did have to concern myself with how I reacted to the other performers. Um, you know, my character is a very, he's sort of a defensive, I mean, a little bit cagey, but he sort of acted in this phony kind of um, seductive way to cover up his own pain and guilt and bullshit and things like that. And, um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it did feel, feel pretty weird. It was definitely a weirder, different feeling from how I've acted in other projects. It didn't feel very natural to me. Um, but Anna said something interesting at one of the screenings. She said that she didn't coach anybody in the movie at all, except for Samantha. Oh. And that part, I, I just sort of shit myself. I was like, what? <laughs> because it, it, there is a uniformity, I think, to the performances. I think there's a, a, a quality that you see that makes you go, wow, they must have all sat down, all rehearsed for days and days and days and you know, looked at these sort of um, sort of action cue sheets and, you know, to this kind of thing, you have to act like that. And to me, that's a, this, I mean, every actor says this, but that's a testament to the script. Yeah. Um, so that, that part really shocked the shit out of me. He's <laughs> like, what? What do you, I, I mean, I, I, my part is, is, you know, as, as you know, if you've seen the movie, my part is pretty fleeting. <laughs> So I just figured, I just figured, you know, five or six of the other leads, my friend Robert Seeley played Richard and, you know, certainly um, uh, 
um, you know, the characters of Griff and Elaine and these, I figured she got them together at least. And when I learned that nobody did except for Elaine, I was, I was shocked. So anyways, yes, it was very strange. Wow. <laughs> it was cool. It was good times. All right. Well, um, I have a question. Yeah. Sure, uh, sure. So this kind of, uh, like I mentioned, we, uh, we watched this in movie club and we had a really great conversation about it after. And this word that got thrown out specifically, I love doing reading about these things after we watch them. And the word that I saw more than anything else, uh, used in like reviews or just write-ups and opinion pieces is pastiche. So hmm. I was reading a lot about how people were saying this was a pastiche or a satire on 60s and 70s sexploitation right. films or the Hammer films get brought up a lot. But then I was reading some interviews with Anna, the director, and she right. had specifically commented in some of these interviews that it was never really intended to be a pastiche or a satire. Right. It was sort right. of just she designed the sets as the way she wanted to design the sets and the costumes. Right. And I know she made everything herself. Right. Um, so I'm curious if you've talked a little bit already about the strangeness of filming, but was there any sort of intention to treat the film as a satire or as a pastiche? Did it sort of come naturally already or was, did she have any intention that was given to you of that's what this is? Uh, that's a good question. And, and, and Anna, Anna, excuse me, has said that numerous times. And I believe her that she did not intend for it to be, you know, a pastiche kind of film at all. I mean, but I, you know, I also believe that she's really deeply connected to really important motion pictures of the past from, you know, the golden era of the forties through the seventies. Um, and she understands and sort of thrives so well in that language that um, it's kind of second nature to her. I mean, she still did tons of prep and tons of work on set, but she so easily speaks that language that she sort of wanted to, write at large in film format. You know, I think she also, I think it, the work also represents a certain high style that um, sort of, you know, defines and frames a character and the scenic tone and the story themes. And it's a lot probably easier for her than what may be considered murkier contemporary styles that constitute films today. Um, I mean, when I watched the movie, I, you know, there, there are moments where I laugh and I go, oh my God, there's something so funny and shocking. And it, and sometimes has to do with the, the innocence of it. Um, she's, a, Anna is a really gentle, thoughtful, super bright, I mean, crazy off the charts, bright um, person. And her level of sincerity is so, um, I mean, I think that's something I connect with her on. I probably have less of it than her, but she, <laughs> but, I, but I love her. Um, and, and, and we all love her for it. And so I think when she says that, like, she really means it. Like she's really, for someone who has to have such a complex and bright brain to make a film, she's got this little sort of really sweet child in the middle of that, that, that loves cinema and that loves the surprise of it and the color of it and, like I said, how it frames everything. And so to her, it's not like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. We all wish it was. We all, you know, we we're like, come on, it's funny, right? And I remember at one of the first screenings in LA, she's like, no, what, what do you mean? Like, so. <laughs> so we sort of left it at that. So, yeah. Great. That's exactly what I was thinking, hoping yeah. for. So, I mean, you know, she's, 
Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> like that, that actually dovetails nicely into the next question because, like, of course, Anna was the director, writer, costumer, production designer, editor, and composer. So yeah. clearly, that's why this aesthetic works so well. But for more Tony's work, don't for, don't forget, she didn't even. <laughs> I feel just, like that helps. Kidding. Yeah, I, I feel like that helps a lot with this aesthetic because I feel like because she was doing it all, <laughs> um, it yeah. all worked so well. And what is it like to work with someone who has their hands in enough of it to where you don't have to worry about what's going to fall through the cracks? Well, I mean, you know, like I just said, I I, I think the world of her, she's fantastic. Um, in a lot of ways, we're kind of kindred spirits. We both went to really good art schools. Um, uh we both love this enormous sort of ocean of of you know of period dramas and retro films and things like that um we're both aquarian and i think she's left-handed like me too i don't know oh, wow. <laughs> but no we have a lot in common and i and i sort of get her attraction to these you know the gorgeous and the profane and having having your hand in sort of every little aspect of it i mean artists are you know we're peculiar people we like <laughs> we want to know the details we don't just want to wait for the end result to show up and it might show up horribly or beautifully we're, we sort of you know there's a part of a part of our neuroses doesn't accept the risk and then there's another part when we collaborate with other people that has to that you really have to hand it over and so she's a she walks that fine line um that renders a really good movie but um but, you know, she issued clear directives. Um, you know, she let her actors sort of work in front of the camera when it was, you know, when it was their time. And, um, you know, she sort of set parameters and asked a lot of questions of her key crew until it was time to clear a path and sort of get out of their way and let them let them do what they do. And, you know, directing is such a constant decision-making process, as I'm sure some of you know. And um, you know, but she can answer to just about anybody on a crew. And I've had the, the, the good luck of working with a couple of directors like this, um, who, you know, they can tell you something about a certain prop, you know, how and where and why it's required in a scene. And, um, and that's based on both her plan that's in the script and also some of the new stuff that you have to deal and adapt to on the day of production. And, um, the fact, the way that she can get in to gain access to that instantly is so fucking impressive to me. It's really just, I mean, I've directed a few things, some commercials and a couple of music videos that have aired on TV and things like that. And I've gotten a taste of it, but the, the way that she, the depth that she has, it is it's pretty remarkable. So, yeah. At what point, obviously this was a very involved production too, uh, but at what point did you guys realize how popular this was going to become. Uh, this is definitely one of those movies that anytime, like when we announced we were watching it or when uh, Sheree and Trent announced they were watching it, yeah. everyone pops up saying, oh my God, I love that movie. I've seen that right. movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. So at, at what point did it become like, whoa, this is, this is getting pretty, pretty big here? Well, uh, there's, there's two answers to that. And one is that, um, it really became visible after it got um, these really amazing national reviews. I can't believe the number of national reviews that we got from like Hollywood Reporter, New York Times, New Yorker, you know, film. I mean, just one after another. I was just, I sort of was like, oh, what the 
fuck, this is the little movie. But that was sort of the second leg of the tour. But in the beginning, the very first inclination that it was starting to develop a cult following was, it initially screened at a theater in LA called the New Art Theater, um, which is, it's pretty well known the way the Angelica in New York is known and some other theaters in Chicago and other big cities are known. And they premiered it there, but they immediately started giving it midnight screenings and which we thought we thought was surprising because that's usually occupied by time-honored films like you know the Rocky Horror Picture Show and shit like that, um, and that's a fine film. But it was just sort of like you know those movies that play for decades, Eraserhead, I, you know, you name it. And they immediately started doing it. And I was like, that's cool. And at the very first premiere there, and then I came back, me and I think Robert Seeley, who plays Richard in the movie we came back to check out a midnight show and at both of those screenings there were already a handful of um young girls dressed as elaine <laughs> and i thought fuck what like they haven't seen the movie yet like i don't what 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 is it you know or if they had at the midnight screening clearly they saw it the night before but i just remember it at the very first screening and i saw three lanes and i was like shit there's something going on here what is That's this? pretty awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, we had it, and then by the time it made it to um, DVD, there's a record store on the West Coast called Amoeba Records, which is a pretty big. Mm -hmm. it, um, I think it's one of them are gone now, sadly, because all the record stores are gone. And DVD store, and when the Blu-ray came out, which we were excited about because they they did a really beautiful transfer and they had these really nice special features on it, and um, um, there was a line around the block. And this building. This, this building is its own block to give you the size, to give you the idea of the size of it. It covers, it's in um, Hollywood, Hollywood area. It's fucking massive. And when we saw the line sort of snake its way out through the store, we just looked at each other like, is this not, is this for another signing screen thing? <laughs> like we couldn't believe it. So yeah, yeah, those, those moments were just kind of like, whoa. And then other screenings and signings sort of followed suit like that so yeah we're always just kind of shocked and in a great way yeah yeah well hey i work at a record store so if you can ever get me the love witch on vinyl i bet you we'd still do that very very quickly <laughs> a movie on vinyl how do you do that how do you transpose yeah. it we'll right it. <laughs> it's all the dialogue and everything too totally uh, um would you be interested in a prequel if there ever was one? Just because we know how it ends for your character, but also <laughs> we just have questions and want more time with Jerry. Um, I'd love to spend more time with Jerry, of course. Um, you know, uh, there, I certainly love that idea. And it's been five years since we made it, about roughly five years. And, um, I mean, I'd have to probably clean up pretty nicely for the sequel, or I guess I could play a really grungier, more scoundrelly version of <laughs> Jerry. Nobody would fucking care. I'd be, you know, I don't know, sort of the Jesus Manson Jerry or something like that. I don't know. And I've played, I've played characters like both of those. So, um, but yeah, that'd be awesome. There were talks. I remember loosely hearing talks about doing a TV series. Um, I think it was as a prequel. Um, I think Anna was approached by. I don't want to speak out of turn here. I think it was Screen Gems or somebody like that that said, hey, you know, we 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 really love this. We can see it as a series. And she was busy working on her Bluebeard movie at that point. She, she's still working on it now and um, writing, she was writing the screenplay at that time. But, um, you know, my 
my professional guess is that it probably would have covered um, uh, the original formation of the coven that Elaine was in and her relationship with them and sort of how that developed. Um, I think it would have covered a lot of Jerry and Elaine, okay. which I think is so funny when I say that Jerry and Elaine, it's like we're watching, you know, the Seinfeld show. <laughs> right. um, it's a very different Jerry and Elaine. Um, and uh, I think it would have covered their very, you know, sort of, complex conflicted relationship you know jerry was such a very terrible manipulative person and you want to know why but you also want to know why like how did elaine sort of enable people like this in her life you know she must have had there must have been some breakdown for her to reach that point where she invited somebody like you know a jerry into her life and the coven and all the other people who sort of helped develop her i don't know i'm not saying that's I'm not saying being in the coven is a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying it helped lead her to pretty <laughs> kill a lot of people. So it, it is. yeah, but I think, I think it would have covered, I think it, it would have covered those things. Um, I would love to be a part of something like that. I think it would be really great to sort of, you know, stretch that out in an, um, an hour long format or whatever it would be on HBO or Showtime or something like that. I would definitely watch. Um. Yeah. yeah, totally. The next HBO miniseries. Yeah, totally. Um, so we we touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, yes. You do a lot of work in genre films, horror films, television, and Trent had asked you about what some of your favorite horror movies are, and I'd ask about TV shows too. If I may add one yeah. more thing, I would also ask you about theater because yeah. uh, I'm, I think most of us, me and Trent and Sheree, come from a theater background as well. And yeah, as a director, sure. my, foc my focus was horror theater. And wow. one of the things that I did uh, pre-production for for a long time until I moved was the Let the Right One In show, which Whoa. did play uh, in London, actually. Oh, my God. Um, so I'd be curious if there's any horror theater that you have seen or performed in that you're particularly fond of. You know, I... I haven't. Um, it just, it seems so rare to me. I don't know why. I, yeah. know that, I know that in the 60s, there was some of it. I remember reading about some in New York, um, some off-off Broadway. But that was more like, um, I mean, that was more like the stuff that you see in Herschel Gordon Lewis movies that are really just sort of like, I mean, just like excuses to set up, you know, horror gags and um, sort of sight gas, you know, the kind of the kind of things that amount to the kills in horror movies. Um, but no, I, I I haven't participated in any. I've been in some horrible plays, but that's different. <laughs> no, I've been mostly. What about actually? I, I take that back. I've been in a lot of. I've been lucky to be in a lot of good plays. I did. Um, a couple of Terrence McNally plays with uh, Ray Seahorn, who plays um, who play who's uh, who plays one of the leads in um, Better Call Saul. I don't know if you've ever seen that mm -hmm. show, Better Call Saul. Yeah, she, she plays Kim on Better Call Saul, and um, those were kind of funny, and there were some scary moments. I did do I I did do a sort of parlor theater horror play called Corpse by I think it's Gerald Moon as the writer and it's sort of like a what the butler saw kind of thing one of those kind of like i think i played the bobby you know i was going through a lot of uh um 
a lot of personal duress. I had lost someone really close to me during that time, <clears throat> a woman I was with, I had been dating and it was, so it, it what was going to be a really funny <laughs> play was had, had to me had a, had some, some dark moments in it, but, um, but yeah, no, but I'd, I'd love to see more. I, I don't, I think I'd love to learn more about it too. I don't know much about it, but, um, but that sounds amazing that you mounted that. I mean, that's shit. Yeah. It's really difficult. There's a lot of blood involved in a lot of those shows. And there is. Um, but I, I think another part of that too was uh, we often talk about the renaissance that horror has been having in film and TV recently too. And I'm wondering if there's any particular more recent TV or uh, horror TV or horror films that you've been enjoying. You know, uh, uh, this is sort of a, a nerdy middling <laughs> response, but I really love Stranger Things. I'm just really, I was so hooked. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing, because you all look so damn young, that I'm a couple of years older than you, a few years older than you. So I, I caught the tail end of the 80s living as a kid, and, and I sort of lived through that. Not through, the, not, not through extraordinary supernatural horror that those kids <laughs> experienced, but just sort of, you know, the, the, the visual import of that world, the parents that you live with who came from a less, in some cases, a less understanding or differently understanding generation that shows right. up in sort of suburban America and, um, you know, and why won't they believe your story about, you know, <laughs> these insane things that are happening or, or not so insane things, just, you know, mundane things that happen to kids. And so I have a special love for it, but then at the same time, it's just like, fuck, how did they do that? Like, the, <laughs> and, and they did it, you know, they really did it. Everybody's amazing on it. Um, the kids yeah. are, the kids are just, I, I'm, I have no words for it. I'm always just so shocked by how good they are and how present they are. And, you know, which is what, what kids, what good, good kids are as kids, but as actors who have to digest these pretty dense scripts um, and imagine the stuff that just fucking isn't there. I mean, I've done that a few times in film and TV and, but they have to do it with such, you know, conviction. Yeah. I love, I love stranger things. I'm a real, real fan. So, yeah. Awesome, awesome. That's right, Duffy Brothers. Get me in there. <laughs> Duffer, Duffy, Duffer. Sorry. We'll make a we'll make a plea to the Duffer Brothers. Thank you. Yeah. We'll start a hashtag. I live in the eighties. Get me back. Shit. <laughs> it's time. But put me in this unusual context. Come on. Yeah. It would be amazing if they could just like move Jerry over to that universe and just. Oh my God, that'd be awesome. Yeah. That would be like, so. You know, I always, I love that when characters A little show stranger up. danger. <laughs> I read for, um, there was a movie called Manson Girls that Matthew Bright was going to make. I don't know if you guys know Matthew Bright movies. He did, um, he did, um, oh my God, he's done some amazing movies. He did a version of um, Freeway. Did you see Freeway or Freeway 2 with Reese Witherspoon? Yeah. So I interviewed him. Um, and I interviewed Chris Hanley, who produced those movies and um, American Psycho and Virgin Suicides and all these amazing movies. And um, when I when I talked to um, Matthew, uh, 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 um, he was talking about um, they're, they're going to do this Manson movie, and I was like, okay, this is cool. And I looked really haggard in Mansony. And I talked to another filmmaker friend about that, and he said, oh, did you find? Did you just hear? that the actor who played Manson 
in um, Mine Hunters is also playing it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I thought, oh my God, it's so brilliant because they're not quite the same time periods, but they're both managed by, you know, directors and producers who, who are, you know, really there to sort of nail the moment of that era and for this guy to sort of yeah. go, go back and for, for the same actor to play the same role in these other movies was just, that also the releases around the same time is pretty fascinating. Sorry, that was a huge digression, but I... Yeah. That's awesome. I was bummed that I didn't get that opportunity. Probably that's what actors. You'd make do. an awesome. This is what actors do in our private time. We go fuck. It's <laughs> good to know. Um, hey, who's your friend? <laughs> that's Quincy. He's been. I love he's it. Been waiting for. He's been waiting for this moment. So, Animal cameos. That's its own yeah. fucking podcast. I love it. That's cool. I would watch. What's like, up, dude? This is awesome. This is also Quincy's third time on our podcast. Um, <laughs> so cute, and his tail is butter cute. Okay, buddy. Okay. Um, so, I hope that answered it. I don't know. I sometimes like to yeah. jump around for fun. No, those were those were all movies I watched as a teen, <laughs> um, which gives context for why this podcast exists today. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Something people might not know about you, or at least I didn't know until I started the researching, is that you're a conceptual artist who makes really cool stuff. Yes. Wood and hardware. So, like, I, you also have this really cool artistic statement, which I won't embarrass myself by trying to paraphrase. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what, what, how long have you been doing that? And what drew you to the, that particular medium and those materials? Well, it's funny. I remember um, watching a lot of, cool movies as a, as a teenager and was just really excited by them. But I think I was so shy and so quiet that I just thought, well, I want to be part of the primary creative process. So I applied to art schools and um, I got a um, sort of scholarship remission kind of deal to go to, uh, I lived in the Maryland area to go to Johns Hopkins, Baltimore. And they're like, yeah, you should go here for your whole undergrad. And I was like, no, I want to go to art school, art school. They're like, all right, but you have to take a bunch of classes here. I was like, all right, fuck. So I went to their sister school, Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore, which is an amazing school. And ironically, got back into film again <laughs> and took film classes and filmmaking classes. And so I always kept that somewhere in the background while I was making fine art objects. So I really got involved um, in art school um, and then made some stuff in New York and then took a huge period of time off when I started doing professional theater and um, film and network TV and things like that. But it had the whole time had always been taking notes on stuff that I liked and things that really interested me and things that I want to make one day. If I, I didn't even know if I would get back into it. I just thought one day. And then about seven or eight years ago, I was renting a house in North Hollywood and I started making work again and I didn't think too much about it. My early works are really pretty highly conceptual stuff where you had to think a lot about it before you make it. And I thought, ah, you know what, I just want to get into it and just get my hands into it and just, just do that. So um, I started making more work again. Um, and the work I do is, I mean, it's it's pretty minimal in form. It's a pretty high contrast from the really wild genre movies that I'm in or the really out there fringy characters that I play, you know, whether it's sick of and psycho fringe dweller, rock and roller, savior figure, you know, abusive husband, whatever. 
that long list, I just thought, man, I, you know, I play those characters because I don't know those people. And I'm, and frankly, I'm pretty scared of them. Like I, I would like to know more about them. How did they get there? And how much of those people, how much of them resides in me, resides in all of us. And, and so I really want to open that up and rip that open and do that in that big way that, in that way that film allows you to do. And, and the reason why I do is because, you know, I actually like to lead the quiet life. <laughs> I actually like peace and serenity and, you know, all the hippie stuff that, that makes up hippies. So, um, and so I started making these really very minimal, simple works um, that, um, that alluded to the suburban life that, that I was a part of growing up and that, um, you know, um, that, you know, there was one reviewer, I remember uh, of a show that I was in that said that my, my work, um, which is very minimal in form, is sort of like um, a place to sort of cleanse the palate of your soul. It's kind of like a, um, a place to sort of defocus your identity. You know, if you look at the surface of these things, you know, they're, you know, beautiful laminates of cabinetry or Corian countertops or whatever they're made out of, or in some cases, really horrible, ugly stuff like, you know, acoustic ceiling popcorn or <laughs> whatever, whatever it may be. And so I'm tr I try to recontextualize these things. I try to put them in places they're not normally seen. I try to give them sort of symmetry and unity that, that don't necessarily exist, even in prefab furniture um, to help you sort of look at these things and, um, you know, but I tend to use new objects, not found objects. They're, they're new and they're super shiny. They're almost newer than you new, And they're kind of a few years out of date to let you know, I'm not commenting on this second, but I'm commenting on maybe on a, this second that I had 10 or 15 years ago or 20 years ago, or that someone else may have had. So, yeah, but I really love them. And I've been very lucky to show in a number of exhibitions in the last few years. So they're yeah. really awesome. I lost yeah. like, 45 minutes just looking at pictures and I was like, oh wait, I came around on a mission. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'm, yeah, I think they're, I, I, I love them. I love making them. And um, I, as I'll say that all artists say is, you know, they're better in real life and um, they look good in photos too though. But there's those things when you spend time with them, you sort of tilt your head like a dog and go, what? Like. And that's, I think that's, I think good art does that. It, it asks you to ask a lot of different questions, you know, like any good art. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, that's awesome. That's all the questions that we have. Um, uh, cool. If anyone out there wants to put in a last minute question really quick, now's your chance. Um, but yeah, a huge thank you to Steven for joining us. Yeah. If you want to. Thank uh, you. Yes. Yeah. If you want to find out more about Stephen's art, go to um, www.stephenwozniakart.com. That's correct, right, Stephen? Yeah, that's that's the art one. Uh huh. And then and the other one is just. And the other one is just the, uh, the www.stephenwozniak.com. That's it. Those are them. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you can follow check and check out more. And we might have. Yeah, you can IG me too if you want. Hey. Yeah. Yes. No, he's on both accounts on Instagram as well. So um, I yeah. also thank you to Charlie for joining us in this discussion. Yes. We thank you, Charlie, for having me. Thank you for answering my questions. I've yeah, to watch the movie like three times already in the past couple of weeks. It's like, great. Awesome. This is perfect timing. You're saturated. I love it. Awesome. Um, yeah. And thank you for everyone out there watching who um, 
is watching now will watch later. This will be available on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook page and on Twitter, but that usually gets put down the Twitter feed. Pretty <laughs> <much>. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the, the world of Twitter, you know? What can you do? But yes, yeah, thanks. exactly. <laughs> thank you, Trent. Thank you, Sheree. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Thank again. you. Thank, yeah. thank you, you for your time and for this amazing movie. Like, I watched it twice this week because I fell in love with it during the watch party. And then I was like, oh, we get to interview Steven. I have an excuse to watch it again right now. And, and, then, so and, then, and then you had then you had some private time with it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Let's just say Sheree started making witch bottles. <laughs> it's my new quarantine hobby. What's wrong with that? <laughs> do it. Do it. Shit, start selling on eBay or Etsy. Right? Yeah, it's perfect. That's how the cool kids are. What? <laughs> so cool. Well, thanks again, y'all. And yes. um, yeah, see you in the ether. I'll be there soon. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, everyone. Bye.